We're glad to present you the Estada Innovation Lab podcast, a series of interviews to top inspiring innovators brought to you by Innova Student Association in partnership with La Rambla of Innovation. Welcome. Today, Jericho Dan and I, Juan Brill, will be interviewing Mr. Ivan Bofarui. Ivan Bofarui is the Chief Innovation Officer at ESADE. He has conducted and designed several disruptive innovation courses at ESADE and in Silicon Valley. His dream is to build a better world through education and innovation. He has also recently published uh, the book Moonshot Thinking, Transforma la Innovación Disruptiva en una Oportunidad. Good morning, Ivan, and thank you very much for being here. Good morning, Juan. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much, Mr. Ivan, for coming here. For us, it's a great opportunity to get to know more about you and your work. So our first question we would like to know is, what's your definition of innovation? Well, that's a, uh, that's, a, that's a tricky one to start because you know that everybody has uh, uh, his or her own uh, definition of innovation. But in that regard, uh, what I always love is to go back to etymology. And, and when it comes to innovation, what uh, etymology says is that innovation is the action and the effect of creating something new, right? So this idea, this definition of innovation, of action and effect of creating something new, informs us about innovation not only as an act of creation, which is uh, something that sometimes uh, we tend to uh, consider uh, innovation is about, but also as in, it defines innovation as something where we have to deliver and to capture uh, part of that value, right? So in a way, innovation is seeing something that others don't see, right? And this is actually the act of creating something new, seeing something that others don't see. And this is one of the reasons why I always like to say that innovation is non-linear, right? So if we are in an organization which is purely data-driven, ultimately everybody is going to see the same data, right? So uh, unless we have an unfair advantage, regulatory advantage or uh, whatsoever, everybody's going to see the same data, right? So innovation is nonlinear. We need to see something that others don't see. But at the same time, we need to know something about how to capture value in a way that others cannot, right? So we need to have a secret about how to capture that value to make innovation sustainable. Perfect. Thank you very much. It was it was interesting to see how how you you define innovation through the, it is nonlinear. I think it is very interesting that related with this, how have you developed this interest in innovation and what drives you? Very very nice, uh, very beautiful question. I I would say that let me put it this way. Uh, my my source of not only interest but also of credibility in terms of innovation is quite contrarian, right? And the reason is that I can tell you that I worked in anti-innovation for a number of years. When I joined ESADE in the year 2004, uh, so prior to ESADE, I had been working in, uh, in, in two startup companies and also in a major uh, financial institution in its uh, strategic department. And when I joined ESADE, um, I was the guy who was leading the business school rankings at ESADE 
And I did that job for a number of years. And ultimately, what I learned about uh, business school rankings is that they were anti-innovation. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why. So business school rankings are purely about the short term, right? It's about the short term thinking. In a way, it's uh, for a business school, business school rankings are something like your stock value. It's like uh, trading, right? For a, for a major corporation, right? And it's your market value, right? At the end of the day. No? And, and this is uh, something that you are double checking probably every other uh, week or every other month, right? You are checking out what's the market value of that business school, of that other business school through the business school rankings, right? Now, when it comes to innovation, you need a long-term view, right? You don't see results in the short term. Innovation, in a way, I always think of innovation as a, as a compounding uh, exercise. It's like compounding interest, right? Look at Google. When Google started the driverless project uh, inside uh, its moonshot factory, it didn't look at all uh, the same way as the driverless project uh, through uh, the spin-out uh, Waymo is looking these days, right? So it was a compounding exercise of improving day after day with new small innovations in a way that compounded, okay? Not isolated and innovations, but compounding innovations through a moonshot, uh, all the way through a moonshot idea, okay? So innovation has to do with the long term, not with a short, not with a short on exclusively a short-term view, right? Second idea is that business school rankings are totally a zero-sum game, while innovation is a positive-sum game, right? Zero-sum games uh, like rankings are status-driven, right? While positive-sum games have, uh, in some way, open-ended results, right? Uh, become machines of positive value creation. Uh, with innovation, you are creating a world la that probably just a few years ago looked like impossible, right? And you are probably doing that by leveraging on new technologies, okay? So in innovation, one of your key questions is, what if we could do this instead of doing that, right? In a zero-sum game, the key question is how to do that now in order to improve by two spots our position in this business school ranking. And then finally, one of the critical ideas that I have been doing analysis and research in the last couple of years is that in a way, when you look at the rankings, you are competing. You are competing obsessively, obsessively looking at what your neighbor is doing, right? And that's purely linear thinking, okay? You are essentially copying, okay? You might probably copy with a twist, but you are essentially copying, right? Uh, innovations, truly innovations, don't compete, right? You leverage on a unique insight or a unique idea that you have where you are able to escape from competition. You are actually not competing. Uh, so you were asking about my, my interest in innovation, in innovation and what drove me to innovation. And uh, I put this uh, idea of innovation in contrast with my... Uh, initial uh, responsibilities and leadership at Esade by uh, managing the business school rankings, which for me were anti-innovation. And from anti-innovation, I was able to unlock which are the true characteristics of innovation.
Thank you for the sincere and amazing answer. Really like that innovation is a long-term view that you need to do like small innovations to have this compound effect in order to have long returns. And I think we, we, we really uh, agree on that rankings are very short-term and business school businesses, they use it just for the short term. And maybe um, this is like a kind of anti-innovation, as you said. So going to the same lines on innovation, we believe that innovation is disruptive. It tries to change the status quo. How has COVID-19 accelerated innovation? Do you believe it's a good opportunity to launch a new project or startup during these times? Yes, absolutely. I mean, of course, this is a, a, a good question for the times that we are living. And what I would say here is that the main challenge when it comes to innovation, from my perspective, uh, is adoption. But wait a second, not only adoption from the perspective of, the, of consumers or of other companies in case that you are dealing with a B2B uh, business, but also from the organizational perspective, right? Companies, organizations, whatever, I mean, no matter what type of organization, whatever is the nature of this organization, it might be a great corporation, a private, public, etc. Organizations are lazy, very lazy to adopt any change, right? So there are organizational barriers, there are silos, there are incentives. So organizations have a bundle of inertia, which uh, is what we call the organizational legacy, right? So we are lazy by nature as an organization to adopt any, any change, right? But we are also lazy uh, as consumers to adopt new habits, right? So Geoffrey Moore uh, a few years ago said that one of the keys for any innovation is that idea of crossing the chasm. Or in Silicon Valley, they also say uh, when they talk about how startups uh, scale, they, all, they always talk about the valley of death, right? So we can apply the idea of the valley of death uh, to innovation as well, right? So there is, a, there is a long distance between value creation and the actual adoption of that value. And in that regard, we need, we have to be forced, right? And there are a number of ways that we can be forced to adapt. And one of that ways to be forced is by a major social event, right? And this is what has actually happened with COVID-19. We have been forced to adopt. So as um, individuals, we have been forced to move to a higher level of adoption in e-commerce. We have been moved to a higher level of adoption in online grocery shopping. As organizations, we have been forced to overcome some of those organizational barriers because there is no alternative. We need to... Uh, adopt new changes rapidly in order to, uh, to face the challenges of COVID-19, right? And there is another way, of course, that you can be forced to adopt, okay? Which is not because of a major social event. Another way is that you can put on the table an invincible uh, proposition, right? So when Zara 25 or 30 years ago 
reduced the time to market by more than 10x from ideation to retail uh, by more than 10x, that was an invincible proposition. When IKEA 40 years ago reduced the shipping cost of any furniture by 20x, that was an invincible proposition, okay? But again, it's like 10 times uh, more difficult to put an invincible proposition, right? Because it demands a lot of creation, a lot of innovative thinking, than a social event that forces you to immediately adopt uh, radical ways of doing things. And this is what has happened with COVID. So again, it's an incredible window of time to try new things that otherwise consumers would have probably adopted in a very lazy period of, let's say, 10 years. And now you can probably test a new thing very rapidly in a window of time of just a few months. Thank you very much for your answer. It's amazing to see how, how this COVID-19, how the COVID-19 pandemic has actually accelerated change and how it has changed our perception and things and, and it has accelerated <coughs> innovation. And I think it is really interesting to, to hear this insight you've just explained to us. And related with, with this also, Estade's commitment with innovation is growing and it has grown even more during these COVID times. How has the COVID-19 pandemic accelerated change at the SADE? Well, so, um, of course, along uh, the immediate answer is that it has accelerated um, innovation along the same lines as what I was saying in the previous question, right? So, for us, COVID-19 has become something like a backcasting exercise, right? It's like... It's been like putting the, the, the future, right? The, the future in a 10-year horizon into the agendas of today, right? And for everybody at the, at the organization, right? Including you as a, as a, I mean, for the whole community, right? Including, uh, of course, you as a students, which by the way, you are the center of the community, Aresade, right? And what I would say is that beyond these, the COVID-19 and this accelerated exercise of innovation has been a wonderful way to go to first principles, right? And to start asking tough questions. So when we think about innovation, innovation is also, innovation starts with understanding, with understanding about what, what is the business that you are in? What is your competitive landscape? Not the traditional competitive landscape, but what is the job that you are solving for your students, for your participants, for the companies that engage with you in your community? So innovation, in a way, is something that helps you to go to first principles and to ask tough questions. What is learning? What is education? What is a bachelor's degree? What is an MBA? These are tough questions that COVID-19 has uh, helped us to reframe in new ways. And I'm going to give you an example. So something that we are finding out is that when we ask about what is a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, we see that a bachelor's degree is basically a way of sending a signal to the market 
to the community out there, right, to companies, to society as a whole, is sending a signal of quality, of prestige, that you as graduates from ESADE are equipped with a bundle of skills, right? But it turns out that these days, most of those skills, or at least a bunch of them, can be acquired through a process of self-discovery, right? Which is totally independent of ESADE. You, you both could get a super amazing, super amazing good course with the best teacher in the world in any topic that you want these days. And you could get it totally free or almost free. However, we truly believe, and I truly believe, that there are a group of skills that I like to call uh, the operating system skills, which have an extremely low level of obsolescence. And these are the skills that I like to, uh, to coin as the thinkings, right? The critical thinking, computational thinking, etc. And these are the skills that I consider that a school like school, university like Asade should be investing in, right? And this is innovation. It's designing new architectures from scratch. It's about finding out, it's about going to first principles and understanding what is what truly adds value to you as a student and what it can be replaced easily by an, an alternative to, uh, to a SADE. And from that first principles perspective, building from scratch, that's innovation as well. Perfect, thank you so much. So we, we also see that this commitment with innovation can also be seen in, in SADE with different initiatives, such as the new launching of the new bachelor's program, transformational business and social impact. How SADE managed to do that? Well, this, this has been a, a, a tremendous organiza organizational uh, uh, initiative in the last uh, few months. And I, I could tell you that probably for the first time in history, Esade decided to set up a separate uh, lab to create something new from scratch. Okay? And this is this new bachelor, actually, right? The, the credit for this and, and the merit for this goes to our uh, director general, Coldo uh, Echevarria, who had the vision, right, to uh, set this up, to Monica Casaballo, a professor, an amazing professor in, in the space of marketing at Esade, uh, who has been leading this initiative uh, from its inception. And then Xavier Ferraz, who's the, who's the leader of this initiative right now, and also, of course, the dean of the business school, right? So this is something that I can tell you that has worked because we have had the ability to cross-pollinate throughout Esade as an organization. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about an opinion, that I, a strong opinion that I have about something in particular. And it's that I don't believe or I only believe in this in a very limited and partial way in secretive labs, in secretive uh, moonshot labs, right? I believe, in, I believe more largely in something like loon shots, which is what a, uh, a physicist called Safi Bakal explains in a, in a beautiful book, 
uh, in a very remarkable book called uh, actually Loon Shots, where he compares innovation to physics, right? And he says something like this, fill up a bucket full of water and you can put it in different states, right? Uh, in, in, in terms of uh, physics, right? So if you have it in a liquid state, in a totally liquid state, this is like having too much innovation, no rules in your organization. So in a way, innovation is going to flow too much and going nowhere. When in the opposite direction, you have a frozen bucket of water, right? Then this is, of course, an organization where innovation doesn't flow at all, right? So no innovation happens. It's one of those in, uh, organizations where legacy is so strong that innovation is killed as soon as it appears in the organization, right? But then Safi Bakal says that there is a state in between where you look at, you look at the bucket of water and you see some pieces of ice, but at the same time, you see mostly liquid uh, state water in the bucket. That in-between state is, what I, is where I truly believe that innovation happens, truly happens in organizations. Because again, as we said in the beginning of our interview, right, in, in, in the beginning of our podcast, Innovation is not only the act of creation. We need to deliver that innovation. We need to capture value. So innovation has to happen, right? And it cannot be an isolated act of creation, right? That's why I believe in those organizations that set up a separate initiative, but not separate at all. And I think that Esade, in the last few months, when it comes to uh, creating this new bachelor, has done a beautiful job along, uh, along those lines, setting a separate initiative, separate lab, but coordinated with tons of cross-pollination with the existing business. Thank you very much. It's really interesting to hear how you define and how you've, you've seen this adaptation of, of innovation inside the Asada and how, how everything is, is related with, with this innovative thinking. And now I have a question about your book. And you have recently published a book called uh, Moonshot Thinking. If you can tell us what you were eager to discover and what you were eager to show through this book in just a few minutes, in just a few minutes. Okay, thank you. Thank you for, for introducing the book. To the, to the audience, which is something that I have been very excited to work on in, in the last couple of months. And so the reason why I was uh, working on this is because I have always been very intrigued about disruptive innovations, you know, because these are the, the type of innovations that turn uh, existing uh, businesses, products, models uh, obsolete. You know? and, and and, and if you look at, uh, if, if you uh, double check how human longevity and corporate longevity have evolved in the last uh, few years, you will find that the evolution of uh, the trend of both uh, types of longevity is quite contradictory. So while human longevity has been increasing, going up, corporate longevity is declining. And this is why I wonder if there were any 
mechanisms that organizations and individuals could use in a way, and let me use this term that resonates very positively these days, if we could in a way vaccinate right, uh, organizations against disruption and also to vaccinate them to create a robust uh, immune system to thrive in the future, right? And to uh, scale innovation in those organizations uh, in the future. So not only surviving disruption, but also thriving in the, in the future. And in order to do that, I, I was extremely inspired by moonshots. And the reason why I looked at moonshots is because in order to test this uh, hypothesis about how to find the mechanism that could uh, propel organizations to uh, survive in the short term and to thrive in the long term, moonshots are probably the most radical example of an innovation in the last uh, 70, 80 years of uh, human history, right? Moonshots were something that were initially the moonshot that uh, President Kennedy announced in the year 1962, uh, the lunar program uh, that brought humanity to the moon in the year 1969, was not a market-driven innovation at all. Okay, so nobody was expecting this. It was uh, an innovation that was totally long-term driven. Returns came in the long term. It redefined a number of industries. Okay, so it was something that uh, had a cross-industry uh, impact. Uh, in terms of materials, in terms of uh, products that were reinvented or invented from scratch. And it was the first principles innovation, right? NASA had to apply a from scratch approach because nobody had done this before, right? So then I wonder what could we learn from moonshots, right? Because when we look at existing examples, of companies that have applied moonshots like Google with X or its moonshot factory. This is a 1 billion investment. This is a 1 billion budget. So how many companies or organizations in the world can afford a 1 billion uh, moonshot factory, right? So then I wonder, what is that we can take? What is the key learning that we can take from moonshots that we can inoculate, right? In organizations these days. And then I came up with the idea of moonshot thinking, okay? which is the most exponential idea, right? Because moonshot thinking, because it's a thinking, it's a way of thinking, is something that you can take as a manager, as a leader to your organization. So moonshot thinking is a mental model, right? That creates a super powerful habit for you of constantly questioning how could you improve something by 10x instead of 10%. Something relevant here is that I don't see moonshot thinking as, uh, let me put it this way, let me make this comparison. I don't see moonshot thinking as uh, virtual reality. So I don't see moonshot thinking or 10x thinking as replacing 10% thinking. Both are extremely relevant. Both work in unison, okay? And this is why I compare moonshot thinking to um, augmented reality. It's adding a new layer of reality to your existing reality, okay? And the magic of Moonshot or 10x thinking is that it's going to unlock more powerful questions that will allow you to protect yourself, your company, your organization against disruption and to discover new opportunities. And I'm going to tell you an example. If I tell you to multiply that your goal as a 
as a CEO is to multiply revenue or to multiply profits by 10x in five years instead of uh, increasing those profits or revenues by 3% or 1% every year, you will probably, of course, you will have to think from scratch, okay? You will probably have to think about your business from scratch. But you will probably think about your non-customers or you will probably think about your non-assets, right? In the way that startup companies in the last 10 years have been thinking about, in the way that Airbnb talked about its business, thinking about non-assets, right? So you will think about which is your leverage, okay? So you will have to start from scratch. If airline companies had applied moonshot thinking two years ago, they would have probably come up with the idea that they were not competing in filling up airplanes with people that they had to transport from A to B. They would have come up with the idea, they would have found out that they were in many different businesses. And one of the business that airlines were competing in was the business of allowing professionals to communicate, right? Allowing professionals to meet and communicate to solve their business problems, right? And they would have questioned if putting them in airplanes was the most efficient way to do that. They would have probably come up with a better idea like a Zoom or like any video conferencing tool or even a virtual reality tool. I have always wondered how is it possible that airlines in their corporate venturing programs have not invested in most ways have not invested in virtual reality companies like for instance Magic Leap, right? So moonshot thinking is a tool that is going to help you to unlock those most powerful questions and to discover new opportunities by reframing uh, your business. In that regard, the book covers a methodology that I have called Moonshot Innovation, which is based in three fundamental steps. Step number one is that you learn how to anticipate disruption and to anticipate opportunity. And here, something that you need to ask is what is your secret? as an organization, what do you see? What do you know that no one else knows? Because this is going to unlock a lot of opportunities for your organization down the road, right? And it's going to uh, anticipate opportunities before others do. The second step is about launching, right? Following the metaphor of moonshots, right? So first of all, you stay in the launch pad and you try to anticipate what's coming. Second step is you're launching your moonshot, right? And launching, the way that I explain what is launching is that idea that we mentioned in the beginning of the conversation about how you, are, how you escape competition, how you not compete, right? And the third step is about landing. And landing your moonshot is about setting up organizational mechanisms to scale your culture of innovation. And of course, I could extend about each of these steps, but then, of course, my obvious invitation is for students and for the audience of this podcast to, uh, to read uh, the book and, of course, and send me relevant feedback that I will truly appreciate. 
we really like the, the response of the importance of having this exponential thinking for the next uh, generation of, of leaders to have this mental model for managers and leaders and also the methodology of anticipation launching and landing. We believe this, this model can uh, leverage the, the impact of the different organizations and businesses. And that's why we believe that innovation is crucial and this mindset thinking is crucial for doing so. So going to the last question, we would like to ask you, what advice would you give for, for the next innovators, for the innovators of tomorrow? that are willing to create a real impact in society. This is, uh, so thank you. First of all, thank you for allowing me to, uh, to give an advice. Uh, you know that uh, this is something that humans love, right? Uh, being asked for advice, right? So first of all, I would, I would um, encourage you, your students at Esade, your brilliant students at Esade, I would encourage you to never stop asking for advice, right? Because this is something that you can learn a lot from as long as you're able to apply critical thinking and to, uh, and to select what is the advice that you are going to consider as uh, relevant for you. Now, my advice. So my advice is that these days, you have a tremendous opportunity, right? And is that you should follow your passion, right? So think about what it is that makes you unique because the source of that uniqueness is your passion. So what, what is the unique characteristic that you never get tired about working on it? So what is that characteristic of yourself that let me put it this way, that it would be 3 a.m. in the morning and you would be applying that without even noticing that you are working because the source of that energy is your passion. Think about what is your unique knowledge. Think about what you know that nobody else knows, right? Think about what is your superpower. Think about that thing that you know how to do better than nobody else in no matter the percentage because you can always compound on that percentage and make it truly super powerful right and the reason why i'm saying this the reason why i'm saying that your source of advantage is going to be totally passion driven is because these days you are surrounded uh, by a tremendous leverage. And this is the main difference between your generation and my generation. I studied at Esade in the 90s, okay? So the tools and the sources of infinite leverage that you are surrounded with, possibly driven by exponential technologies, driven by Moore's law, driven by network effects, driven by your access to infinite resources, your ability to connect with assets which are outside of your company, let me put it this way, your ability to connect with uh, sources of almost infinite computing, your ability to compound on what others have already created. In just a few years from now, you will probably won't have the need to program, to use Python, but probably to use your computational thinking because everything that you need to code will be stuck in libraries that Google and Amazon are going to 
uh, offer uh, freely for you, right? So it's this thing, it's this leverage. You can take your passion and communicate your passion to the rest of the world. So focus on your passion and focus on your unique knowledge. And in order to do that, you have to communicate how you are going to articulate your passion. So invest time in building your narrative. You, of course, have to invest time in data science. You have to invest time in how to make the most of data. But again, as we mentioned before, at the end of the day, ultimately, in 10 years from now, data is going to be a commodity, unless that you have an unfair advantage when it comes to data. But invest in your narrative that makes the most of your own passion. That's my advice. Perfect. Thank you very much. It is great to hear how following our passion is what is going to drive us into our life and what is going to make us motivate to innovate and to always look forward. Thank you very much for this advice. And thank you very much for everyone hearing this podcast. Thank you very much, Ivan, for, 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 for accepting this interview. It has been awesome to hear your insights on innovation. Thank you. My pleasure. We hope to see everyone in the next podcast very soon. Thank you for being there and thank you for listening to us.